Welcome to the Good Grind Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. It is a Q&A. Uh, fall is, we are really into it right now. Uh, we're going to be in winter before you know it. We have some questions that have been coming in, uh, plus a check-in, what's going on uh, in our gardens at this time of year. So you know I'm not doing this by myself. I am joined, as always, every single week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. Maybe Winter may be coming, but it sure doesn't feel like it. It was like 80 degrees yesterday. It was great. My kids were mad at me that I sent them to school in like pants, long sleeves, and a coat. Yeah. Yeah, they're t-shirt and shorts, and I can't really argue with them. So I can't either. And and coming up as the temperature drops at the end of this week, um, they're gonna be back to summer garb and they won't believe me that it's cold <laughs> outside. So I've lost all my cred cred. So yeah. Boy boy who cried wolf. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, uh kind of speaking of of weather and how things are going, um Every year we kind of check in about the leaves. Ken, leaf report. How's it going in your yard? Uh, we've got some trees dropping leaves. Uh, we started this weekend our annual drive around Jacksonville, picking up bags of leaves that people have put out on the curb. So I think this weekend we collected, well, we, my wife went around and collected the light for shredded. She got probably 40, 50 bags of leaves. You know, about My 20 gosh. of them, 20 of them chipper shredded. So before everybody, you know, sends me angry emails and stuff saying you shouldn't be doing that. The leaves in our yard, we leave or we'll rake them off off to the side, but these are already bagged. So he's going to pick them up and do whatever they do with them. So I'm not shredding the leaves in my yard I'm doing that for I, stuff that's already collected. I have two <clears throat> thoughts. Um, I love that your wife is on board with this. <laughs> um, second thought, you guys should like charge for this. <laughs> like, like this has been going for free for the last couple of years, but um, hey, neighbor, if you give me five bucks, I'll, uh, I'll take the leaves off your hands. So city uh, already takes them for free, but oh man, I do. I do get some nice bags out of it sometimes. So anybody mm -hmm. who's we've taken early is thank you for not tying them tremendously tight so I can un, open them up easily don't have to rip the bags sometimes people use like the really good quality uh, contractor bags like super mm -hmm. thick if i'm lucky i can untie those and save them and oh, use yeah. them for later and you can reuse those yeah it's, it's a double bonus i get leaves and good garbage bags that is great and you're just you're just chipping a shredding away while she's picking them up um Ah, oh, that's just amazing. Still need to get that chipper shredder, but yeah, it makes a lot of dust, and she enjoys breathing. So yeah, so she she doesn't, she doesn't like she doesn't doing want to do that. the chipper shredder. Yeah, when I get done. Yeah. I, I still have black boogers from this weekend and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I am in this this uh, similar boat. I'm not going around collecting leaves because my wife wouldn't let me do that. Um, she would label me as, as already crazy. Cause I already like let things happen in my yard that normal people don't. And so I, I know my limits. I know where I can push her. Um, but, uh, I've done a lot of raking. I've done a lot of pushing of leaves. Uh, we did our annual giant leaf pile. I mean, we had a huge leaf pile and of course we all just jump in it. And my favorite thing is to just like burrow myself in the leaves and just wait for the random jogger or passerby on the sidewalk to come by. And I just jump out and scare people. So um, that has been a lot of fun. Uh, but we, 
I do shred up a lot of the leaves that fall onto the ground. Kind of depends on the species. Uh, we have some really thick magnolia leaves that we really do have to shred up. Um, our ash leaves, a lot of times those have, those are the first ones that come down. And so those usually are part of the giant leaf pile, uh, along with the sweet gum, some of the maples, and that gets pushed into the backyard to our woodland garden area. And then finally, we're just waiting on those oaks to drop. And that's not going to happen until winter, sometimes spring. So we never, never really know. So don't set your clock by those, but that that's where we're at. Uh, just living the dream uh, surrounded by our trees. Yeah, I think our, the walnut, so the walnuts are in the neighbor's yards, but those are all down. And those leaves are so small, you can't really tell they're on the lawn. Maples in our backyard still have, are still holding on to their leaves starting to drop. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe this weekend, next weekend, for sure. We'll definitely be doing some raking in the yard. Yeah. I don't know where all these other people's leaves are coming from, but ours aren't. A lot of ours aren't dropping too much yet. Well, the, the walnuts. So I, I get the question every so often where they're like, well, I got, can I use black walnut leaves as like a mulch or a compost? And I'm like, sure, because they aren't that big, you know, mm -hmm. compared to an oak leaf or a maple leaf. So the bulk or the mass it, it it and if you compost it, especially over the course of a year, it, it if there is any chemical warfare going on there, uh, more than likely that dissipates through the composting process and with time, uh, because there's I have a lot more other species of leaves besides black walnut, and my backyard is lined with black walnut trees, and I really don't deal with them at all. So, yeah, and that's your list of trees to plant if you don't want to break leaves. Yes. You got to pick up the walnuts, though. You do. You do. And you have to wear a hard hat when you go out, right? Uh, well, a few weeks ago, it was dangerous in my backyard. So uh, the, we got some big ones, and they are moving very fast when they hit the ground. Yes. Oh, yeah. So black walnut is good for leaves. Honey locust is good for leaves. Kentucky coffee tree is another good one for leaves. Uh Bald cypress is another good one that I like. Uh, and then ginkgo is nice because it just drops all its leaves in like 24 hours all at the same time. So it's a lot of leaves, but they all come down at once. Yeah, it's not your, I just raked and I got to do it again. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Well, Ken, another thing that we haven't really done yet is to check in and see how the gardens fared this year. Um, we kind of already know the story though, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Ken, how'd the garden do this year? How to how'd all of your oddities uh did they come through our what I will say was a pretty substantial drought this summer? Let's just say there's a reason this isn't its own podcast. Mm. <laughs> there's so other are. things that we had to add <laughs> into here, yes, yeah, so that we were talking about more than just what we did in the garden. So yeah. This would be like a five-minute podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's see here. I'm trying to remember all the weird stuff. So Shiso. Never had any luck with getting that to come up. We started inside. We had some seedlings. Got them outside. They petered out. Direct seeded some. Then it got dry, and it didn't do a good enough job keeping up with the watering, and they never came up. Our cardoon um, and artichokes, you know, we planted all that. thought everything was dead. We had one cardoon come up. Um, and it was actually pretty good, but then the frost got it. The hard mm -hmm. frost got it. And, and I didn't really notice it because we... We planted a bunch of cover crop last fall. 
um, a lot of the tillage radish, and that didn't we planted it too late, so a lot of it didn't germinate. So it kind of went crazy this spring, um, and as things weren't doing all that well, we just let it go in the garden. So I've got you know tillage radish that's two or three feet tall and stuff. So it's kind of covering the cardoon and, and stuff. But we did have one of those turn out pretty well. Uh, our our celery, our pink celery, did pretty good. Um, last I looked, it was still holding on. Um, so I think it must not have got quite cold enough to to kill that off for the year. Um, see here, our our green cotton. I don't think last I looked, I didn't have any of the bowls starting to open up. So all that cotton is still kind of in the bowl, all not fully developed yet. Have a little bit of white cotton, um, but this year was not as good as previous years. We because it was cool and wet in the spring, we just didn't get it out till later than we normally do. And growing season just wasn't long enough to to get all that. How about you? Um, I, I didn't I, I did not have as wild of a year as, as you normally do, Ken. And I uh as we mentioned, we we did we had a podcast, actually we did two episodes, one on the edible stuff we were going to grow and one on the ornamental stuff we were going to grow some of the different ones. So maybe that's something we could also link below so you can learn about all that, that I didn't do that I said I was going to do. <laughs> um, but there are some things that I did get done. So I did plant my German butterball potato that I said I was going to order. Um, I planted those in containers this year as cause our yard, we, we have to do rot rotation. So let me back up. I'll say part of our rotation is containers because we don't have much space in the ground. Um, so Solanaceae, which would be potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a, we grow a lot of that. So this year is co a container year. Um, and the German butterball potatoes, they did okay. I mean, they didn't get really massive, uh, massively huge, or, uh, but they were a lot and they're a lot of fun to harvest especially in containers we dumped them all out in a big bin the kids just kind of sorted through everything we got those we also had some purple potatoes i don't remember the cultivar name of them right now um but we got did get some of those but the butterball ones did pretty good um you know we ate off of those for a few meals uh so that that did very well um what else did i say i was gonna do um I didn't grow the Sikkim cucumber uh, that is, it looks, it doesn't look like a cucumber, but my neighbor did. And it's just a wild looking cucumber. Um, we did not grow any of our poblano peppers this year. And, and so that would, that would have been kind of wrapping up our vegetable garden. We did grow the pink celery. It never turned pink. And every time we used it, there it was such a strong salary favor i've said it once i'll say it again i'm not a fan of salary um it was so strong i i didn't put much of it into any dish that we made um so yeah, yeah it never never turned pink it was always yeah. green that's not one you eat plain unless you really really like that so i like my tongue would almost go numb eating mm -hmm. it just raw and well and the nice thing though salary is a bit more cold hardy than some of these others that I've mentioned. And so it's still growing, you know, it's November 7th and it's been a mild fall, but it survived a pretty good freeze and it's still going strong. So I still probably could harvest from it. I might try it one more time to see if that cold weather maybe chilled it out a little bit. 
uh, got rid of some of that harshness of that flavor. Um, so I will probably try that. And I might take some leaves off of there, dry them and shred them up and throw them in like a shaker or something. And we can have that celery flavor during the winter months. And then I will, I will just end with, I did plant trees. I said I was going to plant trees in the spring and I did. I got a black gum, which is a Nissel sylvatica. And we planted that in our front yard. And then I got a hybrid oak tree. Now this is an oak tree that's been hybridized. So it is a swamp white oak hybridized with a bur oak. And, um, and that's pretty normal. Oak trees are promiscuous out in nature. And this is just kind of a purposeful hybridization in the, in the nursery. Um, and I'll see how they go. I've, I've got them in the ground. They are protected from the deer right now. I probably should get collars on the base of them to protect them from rodent damage this winter. Um, so, but yeah, I, I actually did plant those trees. Oh, um, and I just got a message from my wife saying we had more wood chips delivered. So uh, I'll, I'm going to be spreading mulch later on today <laughs> into the, into the gardens. Good deal. Mm -hmm. so we're just using leaf mulch this year, I think. We don't oh, have a good I mean, spot after, to dump. We don't have a good spot to dump wood chips. So, after getting all those bags of leaves, yeah, you got some got some leaf mulch options there. We got we got two more weekends to go to collect stuff too. So, mm -hmm. so the disappointing thing about leaves, though, is that you have a the pile the size of like a a pickup truck, but you shred it, and it's like the size of a I don't know, not even a yeah. car. I, I think Maybe with a golf the bag cart. With the bags we were getting after shredding, it was like a four to one, four bags mm -hmm. shredded down to one bag. Mm -hmm. So even though we did 20 some bags, we only got four and a half loads, wheelbarrow loads out of it. Yeah. So you're, yeah, that covers a handful of square feet. So <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did build a corral in the backyard because last year we didn't get to everything shredded. They just sat in the bags and then the spring tried to chip or shred some, it was just too wet. So Got some T-posts and some garden fencing, built a corral that we'll just empty bags into. Um, so maybe it dries out a little bit better for stuff we don't get shredded. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. See, folks, this is how you can purposefully and creatively reuse things that would otherwise go to a landfill or get burned or, uh, yeah, get buried somewhere else. So leaves, wood chips, they can be reused. Yes. Well, Ken, if that was a story about our gardens and what we're doing right now, it would be a short show. So let's answer some questions that have come in. And I'll go ahead and, and kick this off asking you a question here. Um, and this is all about uh, mums. So something that is a very popular fall uh, foliage and flower. Now, what do we do with them? So the question goes, I didn't get my mums planted. Can I overwinter them? I'm guessing in pots is what they mean. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, if you didn't get them planted, definitely you're, if you want to overwinter them, you're doing it in pots. Uh, if you planted them this time of year, they're not going to get well established. They're it's not going to say they're not going to overwinter, but they're probably not going to survive the winter. Uh, so that would be, you know, letting them kind of die back on their own, putting them in an unheated garage, uh, ideally. Uh, probably best would be if it's an attached garage. If it's unattached, those get a little bit colder. So they may have to do some, insulating of that or or put it in the basement uh, but a cool area where they're going to remain dormant and come spring uh, once things warm up then you can then plant them get them established 
one of the reasons you don't want to do it, plant them now is they're, they're fairly shallow rooted. Uh, so they, they dry out quickly. Uh, they're prone to heaving and stuff, especially since they're not going to be getting established. Uh, so yeah, if ideally, yeah, you would overwinter them inside and, um, it's, it's pretty easy to do pre, be pretty successful, uh, doing that. My mom's done it. Uh, she's got a three season room. She just leaves them out there, uh, waters them every once in a while to make sure they don't, you don't want to get too dry. Um, make sure there's some moisture in that, that potting media, uh, and that'll help retain some heat as well uh, on those roots. So they don't get too cold and die. All right. Our next question here is, uh, when do you need to worry about needle drop on white pine trees? This person has some some needle drop on their trees. And they had read that keeping moisture in the needles is important to prevent needle drop. Uh, so would something like wilt proof help prevent this every fall or winter? So probably a, a two-parter there. Hmm. Well, I I will say needle drop is not usually a problem on our white pine because we think of our, our pines as evergreen but they do shed needles. Like they do go through every about three years, a kind of a, a loss of some of those older needles. And so when we see that happening, like this time of year, it can be a little bit alarming, but it's okay. That's, that's usually a pretty typical part of their, their cycle, their life cycle. Um, it is important at this time of year, also in the fall, that we have adequate soil moisture for our evergreens going into winter. Winter for an evergreen is a lot like a drought because if the soil freezes, it locks up all that moisture, but the evergreens still have leaves. They still have those needles, which can potentially transpire and lose, lose water throughout the winter. So if, if like in my neck of the woods, if we're going into winter in kind of a soil moisture deficit, because we haven't gotten too much rain, we have gotten some, which is good but not as much as we usually do. It's not a bad idea, like at this point, to water some of our evergreens, especially younger, maybe more newly planted ones, ones that are more exposed to a lot of wind, um, uh, some of the more extreme elements out in a, a, the flat Illinois landscape. So yes, right now would be a good time for watering plants. You don't, you, you don't necessarily have to worry about the needle drop. And in terms of that wilt proof, gotta be really careful with that stuff. Because the way it works is you actually you spray it on the plant and it coats the needles and it blocks that stomata that 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 moisture is lost on the leaves, which you say think well that's good but actually there's a negative consequence because that's also how air exchanges into the plant that's kind of how the plant breathes, water comes out air goes in, and that's that's a natural process for the plant and so if you do that wilt proof incorrectly or too much or too long you suffocate your plant and so i stay away from wilt proof if you do use it make sure you read those label directions really really closely and follow them to the letter so that you don't accidentally wind up suffocating your plant now go for any evergreen go broadleaf there's a lot of times where people are putting them on because they'll lose even more water than needle but even then you still have to be careful with it I Exactly. Yeah. That, that needle shape of, of those pines and the spruces and the firs, that is a evolved uh, leaf morphology to minimize water loss during hard times of the year, like winter for these plants. The broadleaf evergreens, like our boxwood, um, if you have southern magnolia, things like that, uh, some of our rhododendrons, then they 
actually they're not as well adapted to cold weather uh they get a lot more winter injury um when we get a lot of frozen soil and windy conditions so and, and the other thing i'll add leave the white pine needles underneath the tree a lot of people like to rake those up and like get rid of them or do something else with them uh, and try to grow grass underneath the white pine just leave the needles there they make an excellent mulch it insulates the soil it keeps the moisture in the, around the root zone um just, just leave them lay there they'll be okay if you need to blow them back underneath the tree if they come out a little bit into the lawn that's fine but push them back underneath the tree and leave them be you don't want to bring them to me i'll use them and we'll use them yeah pine needles are make a great mulch so yeah all right uh we our next question is about dahlia so it goes this is the first time i've had dahlias in my garden they've only started blooming a few weeks ago hmm i'm wondering if how i can overwinter them yeah so my dahlias yeah so what, we got a frost, what was our hard frost? Was that last week, two weeks ago? Everything's blending together now. It, so was, mine it were, was last week. It was last week. <laughs> it seems like longer ago. My dahlias are really kind of starting to take off. Um, it seems like every year, kind of start getting really start taking off, and then we get a frost. Um, so I, I think what they're experiencing probably isn't all that atypical, at least in my experience, uh, especially if you're a little later getting them out. Um, but with, with a frost, I'm... I'm assuming that everything is going to be killed, died back, um, killed off. When you get that killing frost with dahlias, you know, you get that, you want to prune off those stalks and everything just to make sure there's no rot or anything that goes down into those tubers uh, from that plant material above ground that's dying back. Then want to dig those, um, let them dry off a little bit, kind of get off as much of that soil off, uh, and then put them in something like a cardboard box, uh, milk crate, something that's going to be able to breathe a little bit, put them in with... Um, Trying to blank here. I got sphagnum peat. Spag peat moss. There you go. Completely mm -hmm. lost it. Peat moss, um, something like that in there. So that's a little bit moist. So your, so your uh, tubers aren't drying out. Put those, you know, in the basement, something like that. Typically, you want around forty degrees or so um, as you overwinter them. Check them periodically. Make sure they're not molding uh, or rotting. Pull those out if they are. Um, maybe need to moisten that peat moss sawdust, whatever you're using, uh, make sure that's moisture. If they're starting to shrivel up, uh, you're gonna need a little bit more moisture. Uh, and then you can bring them up again in the late spring, early summer, when, you know, once that danger of frost has passed uh, to plant them outside. I've got some that I've had in pots for three years now. It's probably not the best way to do it, but I just cut them, bring the pots in, put them inside and that's it. And every spring they're sprouting in the basement. Um, and I haven't fertilized them at all. I don't know how they're still flowering and stuff and still nice and green, but that's another way. I think you do run a risk of, you know, if you've got any kind of pathogens or stuff in there, you do have a higher risk of that becoming a problem and you're potentially bringing in critters with it. But that could be another option, maybe not the best one, but an option. But if you don't dig those, they're going to die. And then when you're digging in the garden next year, you may end up with a big mushy, gross uh, spot there. Mm -hmm. um, like we had in a few spots where we missed some last year. Well, I, I brought in so many house plants and I've, I've mentioned it already in the show, but uh, just last week I was downstairs where we kind of store everything. I have a big, actually I have two racks now with grow lights and all kinds of stuff. It's getting out of hand, but um, I'm downstairs. I'm 
it's in our little laundry room storage room thing and throwing stuff in the wash machine i look down there's a giant toad right there by my feet and i realize he probably popped out of one of the pots that i brought inside so you mentioned bringing critters into the house well, watch out for toads. So, so there's that one. And then we moved a bunch of plants in the garage. I found another toad in there. And so they really like bedding down in my potted plants. So and then they pop out when it gets warm in the house. Yeah, new pets. New pets. Um, I bet someone's going to say, well, what do you do then? Well, you take it back. I took it back out because it was actually freezing at that point in time outside. Took it in the garage, buried it in another container, but it was cold in the garage stayed in there and went back to sleep went took it back outside yeah see how it's warm now you can take them back outside but once it's mm -hmm. it's cold yes don't do that you'll don't do that they'll it's not, gonna, not gonna end well for them they will croak and not in the good way yes all right next question here uh this individual has a garden but they have a feral cat problem in the neighborhood and they've started using their garden as a litter box what can they do to amend their soil to keep cats away? Hmm. That's a tough problem. Uh, living in a neighborhood myself that has a lot of cats that just roam about. Um, there are a few things that can be done. And we didn't, we don't know from the context of the question, are they talking vegetable garden, landscape garden? Let's assume vegetable garden because that kind of, that gives us the most limitation. Like, you know, when it comes to edible crops and the bad news is if the cats are pooping in your garden during the growing season, you can't use your vegetable garden. Um, there's some pretty nasty stuff in cat droppings, toxoplasmosis, um, which is a pretty nasty, uh, I think it's a parasite that that attacks the human and it's not good for you. There's other diseases and things. Cats are meat eaters and so it, it, it's just like a dog, their droppings are not healthy for you to, to have in anywhere you're growing food. Um, now, if you were at the end of the season, so if there's cat poo in the garden right now, it's okay because a lot of times that the winter weather and decomposition will take place. It'll render a lot of any nasty stuff in those droppings. It'll take care of them when we get to next spring. Now, how do you keep them from going in there, say in the winter, say in the spring? Um, that's really hard. <laughs> Dogs, you have to get a dog. Um, uh, that's, I guess, one biological control. Um, I don't think you can cat trap, uh, especially if it belongs to somebody. But if it's a wild feral cat, well, then you could probably trap it and at least take it, get it fixed or something, uh, you know, get it spayed and neutered do my best bob barker impersonation right now um it's help control the animal population um but keeping them out is going to require a physical barrier of some kind whether it's a long tall fence around the garden uh, sometimes you can use like a landscape cloth if it's in like a vegetable garden bed uh, based in that landscape cloth it covers the soil and you have to cut holes for each one of your individual plants that you want to to grow in and, and hopefully that system works for your method of gardening. Um, you could mulch. Uh, I will say this is probably not practical for an outdoor garden, but at the house plant, 
listener, when I had problem with my kitten digging in our pots last year, listener recommended tinfoil. Works great. Uh, the forks that I would stick in the pot did not work at all. The cat just pushed them out of her way and kept digging, but she stays out of the tinfoil. I think it's kind of a waste of resources to do to spread tinfoil all over your garden bed. Um, so that's why I would opt maybe for that landscape fabric as a physical barrier. You could maybe use like a chicken wire, hardware cloth, so they can't mm -hmm. get in there and try to bury stuff, discourage them. And maybe it would work better for like a raised bed suit. Yeah. Because it's not going to be exactly cheap. Landscape fabric would be a lot cheaper if you're going to a larger area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, try to avoid working in that area. Wear gloves. Wear a dust mask. Um, uh, avoid from breathing that stuff in. Uh, getting it on your hands. And, you know, I, you can't stop them from going every single time. But if there is a large, if there's, what I've noticed in our neighborhood is that where one cat has picked a spot, a lot of times, many of the other surrounding cats are going to go to that same spot, whether it's territorial or just, hey, that's a good spot to go. Um, I, I don't know why, but we do have a few areas in our yards like, yeah, that's pretty reliable. We'll find a pile of cat droppings there. Oh, good luck. Get a uh, ocean activated sprinkler. Start spraying oh, yeah. every time they come over. Mm -hmm. Yes. Trying to think what else scares my cat. Oh, the cucumber trick. So that's supposed to scare your cat. You throw a cucumber at him or something or scares him to death. That might work. Just put a yeah, cucumber or something behind him. There you go. They turn around and... <laughs> I think it's a snake or something. I don't know what it is. Scares him to death. <laughs> All right. Well, Ken, our last question for the day uh, is has to do with an insect invader. So, uh, invader into the home, really. What's with all the black and orange bugs all over the place? Which I don't often see, but this person, they they do see. Um, so these are, are box elder bugs. I'll try to find a picture. We'll put it right now. So these are, are insects that are one of the kind of overwintering Inv house invaders over the winter, you know, box elder bugs, um, brown marmorated stink bug, multicolored Asian lady beetles are, are three of the more common ones we get. Uh, box elder bugs, they're 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 going to be a nuisance just like the other ones. They're feeding on box elder trees uh, and it's and other maples uh, as well. A lot of times the seeds. So depending on how many seeds your plants are producing, they may be beneficial because uh, they may have fewer viable seeds and fewer maples and box elders popping up everywhere. So that may be your silver lining there. Um, but like other overwintering insects, they're finding trying to find somewhere to, to spend the winter. A lot of times you find them on the south or west uh, sides of a house if they've got a nice full sun exposure. Uh, it's nice and warm. They'll crawl up into the siding and into windows and, and wall voids and things like that and may occasionally make their way inside, uh, completely inside into the house. Uh, but they do not, they don't um, reproduce indoors. They're not feeding on anything. They're just they're just a nuisance. Uh, come spring, or really anytime it really warms up. So, you know, right now when we're having 70, 75 degree weather in November, and they if they've come in, they'll be warming up, crawling around and stuff. And then when it cools off again, they'll, they'll go back to, to kind of hibernating, so to speak. Uh, but in the spring, they'll they'll emerge, they'll go to to out and they'll start feeding on plant material, make their way to box elders or maples or red ash uh, sometimes too. I'll get onto them. They'll feed on the leaves, the shoots, the seeds, things like that. And 
know, they'll, they'll do their bug thing, reproduce and feed. And they usually have two generations so that the ones that overwinter, they'll lay eggs. Those will hatch out. Those will be around in the, the summer and fall. And those will be the ones that are overwintering. So a nuisance, you know, if you get them inside, um, collecting them, you can put them in a, you know, like Japanese beetles, bucket of soapy water, drop them in there to kill them, vacuum them up, uh, making sure your house is well sealed, you know, cracks, crevices, no holes in screen thresholds or under the doors and stuff are, are intact and things like that. Um, you know, at this point in the year in November, probably should have done that already. Probably a little late to prevent those from getting inside now, um, but in future years, something to think about, especially if you've got box elder or maple uh, trees nearby. Mm -hmm. We've got maple trees in our yard, but we don't have any problems with them here in Jacksonville. Anyway, in our yard. You know, and what you say, just that that physical sealing of of openings around your house that can play a huge role. We've had so many problems with brown marmorated stink bug in the last few years when we moved into our house and we installed a new back patio door and we've installed new front windows, new front door over the last couple of years. And this year with all of those new openings, um, I, first I noticed in the windows and the doors, there was nothing sealing <laughs> <laughs> around it that's why it was so cold in the winter <laughs> air would just move right through um but like we put in the new stuff and we put in that that expanding foam then around there sealed the those openings we've had far fewer brown marmorated stink bugs this year than we've ever had um could that be population dynamics of the particular insect i guess it could be this is only my observation um but i still find brown marmorated stink bugs all over the place in my garage, like in, in and under everything. So they're still coming in, in some way, shape, but they're not getting into the house. So cock seal cracks and crevices. We say it all the time. It does make a big difference. Yeah. And remember they're, they're a nuisance. They're not going to damage, you know, stuff inside there. They can't be smelly. They can't stain if you smash them for, for any of these invaders, but they're not, they're not reproducing inside. So. What you have in the right now is what you're going to have in the spring. Probably fewer because some will die, but you're not going to have millions of them all of a sudden emerging. Well, that was a lot of great information about what we got going on in the garden and answering some of your fall gardening question questions, plurals. Uh, I can speak. Uh, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, edited this week by Ken Johnson. A special thank you to Ken for both editing and hanging out with me, talking what's going on around our house, gardens, and answering questions. Thank you so much, Ken. Yes, thank you, and let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We are going to be back next week, and we're going to look so young and fresh-faced. We're going to be going a few years back in time when we talked with James Thury all about turkey uh thanksgiving's coming up and so we will talk turkey with james uh and it will actually be an older recording of us so it, it will be a garden bite but hey you gotta you gotta do that every once in a while and look back so we look forward to that and listeners thank you for doing what you do best and that is listening or if you're watching this on youtube watching and as always keep on growing